sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today I am so excited to share with you a conversation that I had with Greg McCune. He's the author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, and of Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. And he's the host of the What's Essential podcast. Greg has dedicated his career to discovering why some people break through to the next level and others don't. He's an author, a speaker, and an active social innovator having worked with clients such as Adobe, Apple, Google, Facebook, Pixar, and more. In this conversation, he shared his wisdom around why we tend to get in our own way and how we can better focus on identifying what's essential and making it effortless. We tackle some big questions and we get tactical, so you'll be sure to walk away with something practical and useful you can put to work immediately. I hope you enjoy. Well, Greg, welcome to the Modern Mentor Podcast. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you with us today. So technically, we are here today to talk about your new book, which is called Effortless, Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. I read it. I loved it. I can't wait to talk about it. But in fairness to this book, I feel like we can't do effortless justice without spending a little bit of time on your first book, which was all about essentialism. And so... I would love it if you would talk a little bit about this concept and just quick background. So I run a business called Lead Above Noise, which is all about leadership and organization development. My business is so named, I think, in the same spirit as your book, which is to say, being a leader, it is not about adding more and more tools, more strategies. It's really about being so ruthlessly intentional with your time. It's about filtering. It's about curating. So I think we come from a similar space, but you coined the term essentialism, and I would love to hear, where does that come from? Why is that so important for you? Okay, let's just put the two books in context. I think you could read either book separately, maybe cousins in that sense, but I think of them a little bit like Paul McCartney and John Lennon. You know, like they both made music separately, but together there's something magical, right? In the Beatles, something happens. Essentialism in one word is prioritization. Effortless in one word is simplification. Essentialism is about figuring out what really is essential and eliminating everything else you possibly can uh, so that you can invest in those few vital few things. Effortless is about, well, once you do, how do you 
make it as effortless as possible so that you can do it consistently and also so that you can sustain the effort, not just achieve success, but to be able to be successful at success. So to me, they really go together in this uh, you know, quite inten- intentional way. But one of the experiences that, that, that was so defining for me was I got an email from my uh, manager at the time that said Friday between one and two would be a very bad time for your wife to have a baby. I need you to be at this client meeting. And sure enough, we went to the hospital. My wife and I, our daughter is born. Early hours of Friday morning, we're in the hospital. And instead of being focused on that essential moment, I am feeling torn. You know, I've got my laptop out, my phone out. I'm trying to do it all. And to, you know, to my shame, I went to the meeting that day. And even afterwards, I remember my manager saying, look, the client will respect you for the choice you just made. But even if they did, it is clear that I made a fool's bargain. I violated something essential for something non-essential. And what I learned from that experience was if you don't prioritize your life, someone else will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one uh, of several triggering experiences that set me on this path. That had to have been a really painful life lesson. I'm, I'm glad something really positive came out of it for you. That example is is so extreme. And I think any one of us can look at that and feel your pain and just imagine, like, let's all, all take a lesson from it, right? It makes everyone right? feel better. Because everyone's <laughs> like, well, I didn't pull a McEwen. I mean, I've made some trade-offs, but not what McEwen did. So he's... Oof. Oof. Yeah, if your name is going to be a verb, that's probably not what you want it to mean. <laughs> but in fairness, you know, I think as most of us go about our days in the workplace, the types of trade-offs that we're talking about are, are often not quite that extreme, right? Go to a meeting or attend the birth of my first child. And I would hope people would take your lesson and, and choose the birth of a child. But I think more often it's, you know, attend meeting A or attend meeting B, or it's attend the meeting or work on the proposal. It's sort of like more mundane choices. And I think what I hear from people, what I hear from clients and friends is, yeah, I love the idea of essentialism. I'm, I'm bought in, but I don't know if I know how to do it, how to make choices, how to think about criteria. And I'm curious if you have any guidance for people who want to do it and they're just not clear on the how. One of the things I learned in this listening tour of several years now of working with people to apply essentialism is that there is a sort of assumption that the more essential a thing is, the harder it's going to be. And there is a kind of New England Puritan type logic that reinforces that. So we think there's like this false dichotomy between either on the one hand, I've just got to give more, do more. The, 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 as I say, the most important stuff has to be the hardest stuff. Like that, that just goes together. And, and then on the other, it's even more than that. It's like a distrust of the easy. If something's easy, it must be trivial. And so if you get into this, if you think of life as being those two options and a lot of overachievers, driven, capable people, I'm really the person listening to this conversation right now is almost certainly in this category. They're going to spend a lot of time in the first area. And so the, the, the ramification of that is that, you know, life just gets harder and harder. And, as, and, and it leads to feeling you're still highly engaged, but you become exhausted. And I think now my, my feeling is that there's like two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are burned out and then there are people who know they are burned out. And if you can get in the second category, then you start to say, okay, I've got to do this differently. 
I've got to figure out a way to achieve what's essential, but I've got to do it in a way that isn't so costly, isn't so personally sacrificial, doesn't lead to such strain and stress and even suffering. You know, I, I've observed people doing this. Yes, I want to be an essentialist, but they try to be a perfectionist about it. And immediately their intent is right, but the way they're doing it is just somebody I ended up coaching, um, Kim, who, a uh, middle manager inside of a university, and she felt guilty if she ate lunch. I don't mean if she took time out for lunch. I mean if she even ate it. If I'm not exhausted, I'm not doing enough. That's how she thought. That's how she what she believed. And so she was a constant overachiever, constant perfectionist. And so it wasn't that what she was trying to do was wrong, but the how she was doing it. And so she's someone that, that like uh, has a bit of a turnaround moment as she discovers there is a different, there's a third alternative path. It's not just hard and essential or easy and trivial. There can be an essential but easier path. So I love that story. And I think that that, so first of all, I love your your assertion that there are people who are burned out and people who know they are burned out. And I think we all get the joke there, which is all of us are suffering from some semblance of burnout, right? We're, we're dancing with it or, or we're right in the middle of it. It's This has been a, a hard year and change. I love that story about Kim because it's it's so real and it's so resonant, right? It's like if we're not busy, we're wasting time. If there's an open hour on our calendar, well, obviously there's a meeting we should be attending and heaven forbid we, you know, go take a walk or watch a, a video on YouTube to just challenge our brain. I'm curious, you use the word coaching, so I'm going to I'm going to try to tap into the coaching part of you. When you're talking to somebody like a Kim who maybe is working at an 11 out of 10 and and you want to get her to a 5, but you want to start by just dialing her back to a 10, right? How do you help somebody like Kim think about like, "Hey Kim, just just take one step. Just try one small experiment just to give her a taste of what it can feel like to operate with a little more fuel in the tank." I mean, first of all, that's that's really important because overachievers want to apply their overachieving, exhausting ways to any attempt to change. And so that, <laughs> that's precisely why to write effortless in the first place. And so you don't want somebody to suddenly go, okay, well, great, everything stops. I'm going to do everything I can to make it effortless, to do what's essential. No, that's not the path. That's just doubling down on a strategy that's already leading someone to be burned out and not actually achieve their highest point of contribution. So what I did with her is I sort of introduced the um, the Jacobite principle, which is the, the mathematician who had a reputation for being able to solve wicked problems that other mathematicians had studied and tried to work on for a long time and it couldn't, couldn't achieve. And then he would come in and be able to just solve it really fast. And and his principle for his approach, he said, invert, always invert. Everyone else is trying to do more of the same thinking. He says, well, what about if we just inverted it, looked at it from the opposite perspective? Maybe we would find an answer. He often found an answer very quickly, very simply, just by changing that paradigm. Now, so I say, okay, let's invert this. Invert, always invert. We're going to ask a new question. The question is not how can I achieve better results by pushing harder, but how can I achieve better results by making it effortless. How can we make it easier? You know, I teach about what that idea is. I said, don't worry about everything else, just that question. Next time you're asked to do something, just ask, try to ask that question. Uh, she gets a call from a professor at the university, said, look, I want you to come and get your videography team, come and record my class for the semester. Now she is so well developed in the first approach. More work, harder work, we'll get better results. I'm gonna wow him. 
that she starts immediately going down this path. We'll get a whole team there. They're going to record the class from multiple angles. We'll edit it all together. We'll add music, intros, outros, graphics. This whole thing, she's going the extra mile. And then she goes, okay, okay, that's one way. What about, is there an effortless way to achieve the results? Is there an easier way? So she asks a couple more questions along those lines. It turns out this is for one student who's going to miss a few classes because of an athletic commitment. And the solution that they come up with together is that one of the other students in class will just record it on an iPhone <laughs> and send it afterwards for the ones he misses. That's it. You know, the, the professor's delighted. He hadn't thought like that because he too is thinking a certain paradigm, a certain approach. She gets off the phone. It's a 10-minute phone call from beginning to end. And she says, we solve the problem in 10 minutes instead of a four-month commitment for an entire team, which would have worn them out and me out for completely unnecessary work. So that illustrates, you know, what I would say to somebody. If you're only going to do one thing, invert, always invert. You've got to get into a new paradigm. This old paradigm has got you here, but it won't get you there. What wow. got you here is not going to get you to the next level of contribution. And here's why. Because you've already used up all your time, all your energy to get to this point. So if you want to have 2x results, you can't work 2x hard. If you want 10x results, you can't work 10x harder. Nobody listening to this can work 10 times harder. We've got to find a new paradigm. You've got to find a different perspective. Effortless is a different approach. That story is a bit of a punch in the gut because I think any high achiever, any perfectionist can resonate with that. And I, you know, what I take from that is that I think for a lot of us, myself included, when I think about the idea of essentialism, where my head goes is what must I keep doing and what can I stop doing? But what I take from that is there's something in the middle, which is what can I keep doing, but doesn't necessarily need a hundred percent, you know, sort of effort or impact. There are things that can be done more scrappy, more sloppy, because they're not for a client. You know, they're for a student who's got to get to a baseball game and, and it doesn't need a hundred percent. It doesn't need perfection. And so it's, it's almost a different lens to apply. Right? Yes. It's a different lens to apply and, and understood correctly. It's like a breath of fresh air for any overachiever, for any perfectionist who's burdened by guilt all the time and still burned out. And so this idea, what you just said, scrappy reminds me of one of my favorite case studies in, in researching effortless, which is the story of the Henry Kramer, a British industrialist who starts the Kramer Prize. This is to accelerate human powered flight. So this is like 50 years after, you know, the Wright brothers have actual flight, you know, Kitty uh, Hawk. And it's only 10 years before we've got men on the moon. So it's aviation golden, you know, years. And he thinks, oh, this will just, well, this should be easy. We just want to be able to get basically a, a bike with wings to be able to fly around these two pylons half a mile apart. 50,000 pound prize, just to kind of give it a bump. Well, 17 years go past and no one's achieved it. And that's like kind of to everybody's surprise, enter Paul McCready. Paul McCready is broke. He has no advanced team. He has no one funding the project. He really just has sort of some friends and family. In fact, he gets his young son to be his experimental test pilot. <laughs> and he's staring at the problem like, why can't anyone solve it? I mean, it's not dissimilar to the, to the Jacob I invert, always invert. He's, he's like, why can't anyone solve it? And suddenly it clicks for him. He says, everyone's trying to solve the wrong problem. 
Everyone is trying to build the ultimate machine, the sophisticated, elegant, beautiful machines, and they were in order to do the run around this pylon without, you know, without landing and so on. He said, that's the wrong problem. The right problem is, the right question is, can we build a machine that can crash and be fixed again cheaply? He said, that's what wow. we have to do. Cheaply. He said, what would happen is these competitor planes that look so beautiful would crash, you know, go, go out for the test flight, they would crash, and it would, they'd be like, okay, right, it crashed. Let's take the little data we got from that. Let's go back to the studios, six months of reworking our machine, and then we'll test it again. Whereas in he built this thing, it looked amateurish, but he said this thing would crash and they'd like stick a broom handle on, tape it up, and it would be back up in the air five minutes later. They would have more tests in one day using their scrappy machine, the Albatross, than their competitors sometimes would have in the entire lifetime of their projects. So it took them 223 attempts in this very scrappy approach in order to win the prize, and they did. And then two years later, they won the second Kramer Prize, which is to cross the English Channel or human-powered flight. The breakthrough wasn't an aeronautical insight. It was the way you approach it. Like the how we execute matters as much as what we're trying to do. It's hugely important. If what we're doing matters so much to us, we have to approach it in a way that we can keep doing it. We do it in a sustainable way. In this case, that meant not going for the second mile to everything, not being a perfectionist about everything. It looked like saying, hey, how can we learn cheaply? What he teaches us is that we need to make failure as cheap as possible, make learning as cheap as possible so that we can advance quickly. And this is, again, completely antidote to the perfectionist way that actually slows us down, reduces our joy, makes life constantly harder and more complex than it needs to be. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. A lot of us are wired to hear a request, hear a question, go, act, solve, move. And what I think you're saying is, no, pause and ask yourself, you know, is that the right question? Are there more questions that should be asked to get us to a greater sense of clarity? And from that clarity, the effortless solution starts to show itself, right? But it, it takes a leap of faith because it slows you down on the front end to get you faster to a smarter finish line. 
In order to start executing on what's essential more effortlessly, we do need to ask new questions. Uh, this yeah. part I completely agree with. If you can ask a new question, you're unlocking all of that intelligence and capability that we have that's currently wound up in a strategy that's exhausting and still not achieving the results we want and opens us up to possibilities that just we aren't even seeing before we ask the question. I mean, just now that we're riffing on questions and then we'll get to the pushback, I, I hosted Clayton Christensen before he passed away at, at one, of his, one of his relatively last events. And he was speaking and he told a story that I thought was very profound. I'd never heard him share it before. He said he'd, he'd recently had a dream. And in the dream, he went to a sort of heaven and this is the Harvard professor, of course, uh, the, the, the you know, Innovator's Dilemma and many other books. And uh, he has this dream. He's in, he goes to heaven. There's some sort of messenger meeting him there. And they're showing him around. And they show him a, a, a building, a great warehouse of, with truths inside. You can think a little like a library, but it's not just books. There's artifacts of truth all over the place. And he says to him, like, he says to this messenger, he says, how do you have all of this up here? We need all of it down there. We are struggling. We have so many problems. There are so many challenges. There's such intractable issues of, of, of inequality. We've got challenges of poverty, of, of discontent, of wars, of so on. Famine, all of this truth here. We need it. Why haven't you given it to us? And he says, watch this. And the, the messenger takes a, an artifact of truth and he throws it down, you know, to Greg McEwen's down there. And he says, he says, this is for him. It would help him so much. He throws it and it just goes through me. I don't even see it. And this is the lesson. He says, Greg down there, he has to ask the question for him to even recognize the answer. There are answers everywhere. There is truth available so much. We're like not being intentional in the questions we ask. So we tend to ask questions thoughtlessly. We don't say, how can I work 10 times harder to achieve 10 times results? As soon as we open ourselves up to this alternative question, it's just amazing how straightforward and easy the answers can be sometimes, can be. I looked around my office the other day and it was while I was still writing the book, but I was trying to tidy it up and scan across this, uh, this printer on the floor. And it's been there two, a couple of weeks. Every time I see it, oh, I've got to deal with that. But then as soon as I think about it, I go, do I sell it? Do I give it away? Do I throw it away? If I throw it away, I need to find a recycle center. And that's just, that, that messiness was enough to like uh, procrastinate it. I come back to it. That's what happened two weeks. And then I say, okay, let's ask a different question. Is, is there an immediate solution to this? And I see some workers just down the way. And I think, I wonder if one of them just wants it. I walk out, I say, I've got a printer. It works. I've just replaced it. You know, would you like it? Yes. Walk inside, I pick it up, give it to him. He puts it in his car. That's it. It's done. It took exactly two minutes after asking that question, not only to have an answer, but for it to be executed. I asked a better question and suddenly you get a better answer. So yes, I do think that asking these, these better questions are the way to go. As soon as we get skilled in asking these questions, it is completely game changing. And that's great for two reasons. One, because everybody's burned out, so it's timely. But also for the overachievers out there, who most of the people reading, you know, what I write, are overachievers who are, to, to use David Allen's phrase, running out of space. They're out of space. They can't work any harder. That strategy is a good strategy, but they, you just it doesn't scale. <laughs> You've got to find a better path. If you can find a way to do something that is essential, that, and it's 10 times easier to do it, you can now achieve 10 times more for the same input. Yeah. That's the value proposition of effortless. 
And what I think is so powerful about that example you just shared is that I believe that sometimes you just need that external voice asking you the obvious question. I'm curious how you feel about the idea of like having an effortless buddy. That's a good idea. In my life, one of those effortless buddies is my wife who, it was while I was still writing Effortless, I felt like, okay, we're actually onto something here. When I heard Anna and my daughter Grace talking about something to do with her education, and literally one of them just said, okay, what's the effortless way to do this? There's a strategy that only goes so far. And a lot of people push it beyond its usefulness so that it gets to the point of diminishing returns or even negative returns where they are just, they start to burn out themselves. They start to not get the results they want to work. And they think, okay, well, I must not be working hard enough. So they do even more. And this is what wrecks marriages too and wrecks relationships. And then you get fired anyway. And what, and so it's this, this, the unlocking of a, of another possibility. And I think if you can find someone, an accountability partner, if you can find someone, read this together, find a coach to help you ask these questions, a safe place. It's a really great transition strategy until it becomes more intuitive and effortless to ask the effortless questions. Absolutely. And as a companion piece, since you mentioned him, I would recommend anybody give a read to Clayton Christensen's How Will You Measure Your Life, which is one of the most life-changing articles I have ever read. And I did a whole episode on it. And if you need to be reminded of the importance of perspective and being intentional with how you invest your your time and your energy and your focus and making sure that you're looking at the whole pie of your life and not just your career, I think if you need the inspiration, start there and then Effortless becomes your your handbook. It reminds me actually of, of a story. I, it didn't make it into the book, but it's sort of one of my few regrets about what I didn't put in there. And it's a story of a woman who was with her dying son in the hospital. It's at the end. And I've been with people at the end. And sometimes, you know, right before you just know this is it. It was like that for her. And so she got up physically like into the bed with him just to just to lie next to him. Just this is it. And right at the end, he just opens his eyes. He's in that place. It's not fully here, but it's not fully there yet. And he just says, oh, Mom. It's all so simple. It's all so simple. And those were his last words. He died. And that became a soundtrack for her. And one for us too, if we're willing to listen to it. And the question I would just pose with that is to ask, how am I making it harder than it needs to be? And you, you think about what's really essential to people. Of a health, how am I making my health? harder than it needs to be? What would an effortless solution look like? How could I make it 10 times easier? Let the question sit with you for a while. Answers will come. Ask is a biblical phrase. It's all over in scripture, actually. Ask and you shall receive. It's like, hey, listen, you want a better answer? Ask a better question. And that question, I think, is a powerful one. How am I making the relationship with my significant other harder than it needs to be? How am I making my relationship with my children harder than it needs to be? How am I making my projects at work harder than they need to be? The most important things I want to do, the things that really matter most. How am I making those harder than they need to be? Or, or even go even bolder. This is one of my favorite combinations. To just decide, ask, if I could do anything, what would I do? The most impossible but amazing, essential thing. Like the grandest thing. And then add to it, how could I make that effortless? 
It, it's an unlocking question. The answer isn't going to be there in the first second you ask it. But you just, your brain's like an ultimate Google and it will just start going through information and looking for strategies and answers to this. I think this, these two questions go together in this, as I said at the very beginning, a kind of magical way. Absolutely. I love that. And thank you for sharing that story. That's, it's beautiful. So Greg, you are famously the host of the What's Essential podcast, which I hope everybody will go subscribe to. But I'm curious, for somebody like the woman that you described who's working in the university, for anybody who is feeling right now like, okay, maybe I'm becoming one of the people who does know I'm burned out and I think I'm ready to start taking steps in the right direction. Do you have a favorite starting place in terms of your episodes? I mean, the episodes that have been most popular of, of everybody I've ever interviewed, and I've interviewed lots of great people, yourself included, and, and Matthew McConaughey and Aaron Huffington and lots of, you know, well-known people, loads of authors. But actually, the most popular episodes have been with my wife, Anna. That doesn't surprise me because, like, everybody needs more Anna in their lives. Like, I, I <laughs> like, literally think that's true. She's just, like, very wise, centered. She's better at essentialism than I am, although she thinks that I wrote Effortless for her, which I didn't, but I don't know what she means. But I think the episodes with her, which is the very, very first episode ever, the audio is not great on it, but it's, uh, it is real and sincere episode. And then, and then we did another, I think, on episode 20, I think, was also okay. together. And that one was about rest and the need for it mm. and uh, the need to escape. I think that's actually what it's about, the, 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 the benefits, the upsides of escaping so that you can think and be creative and have a slingshot experience in life. And when she came to me, it was when the book was finished. And she said, I was about to jump into all these things I'd put off and pushed on my calendar. And she came and said, look, I think you need two weeks. Move everything again and just have two weeks just to think and get creative and talk. And I think she was absolutely right. And we did that. And so that episode, I think, is worth so episode 20. Awesome. Thank you. And I, at least now we know what your secret weapon is. Um, <laughs> yes. It's all, you heard it here first. <laughs> That's exactly right. Never, never made is, a bad choice if I, if I counseled with Anna first. Oh, amazing. Well, Greg, this has just been chock full of goodies, of insights, of places to start, things to try. Any final words you want to share before we wrap up? Oh, I just think, I think maybe the final thing I want to say is like, is just this period of life right now, time of this conversation, is a time with no boundaries. That is what we gave up in the pandemic. There weren't many boundaries before, but they all disappeared. The final few, the geographic ones, the, 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 you know, the commute, the office, if you had a separate office with a door, or, like all of those things where work and life were separate, the final few disappeared. And that's precisely why we now feel like we're living at work, not working from home. That's why all the boundaries disappeared and it always goes one way. It's always work consumes life. It's never, almost never the other way around. So this is why we're in this sense of Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat life where you can't even tell what day it is. If you don't set any boundaries now, there won't be any. And so two of my favorite boundaries I think people could start right now with. The one is to write a done for the day list. 
So instead of a, a perpetual endless to-do list, you actually have a done for the day. You go, okay, here are Ooh. the things. Once I'm done with these things today, I can walk away. Like nobody gets hurt. We're done. Oh, I love that. No sneaky work. You know, no like, no sitting in a bath, but you, you know, people are on Amazon buying stuff like you're done. <laughs> you know, and then the second is similar to this, which is a, a time to be done for the day. Uh, I started that at the beginning of the pandemic as inspired by Ben Bergeron, who has a similar practice. And I would stand up five o'clock, go to the door and I would yell at what time it was to the whole house. It is five o'clock or if I was late, five oh one or, you know, whatever the time is loud. That's a playful, accountable way to be done, because otherwise you're never going to be done. Six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It is no end. There's no natural excuse. You don't have to get in the car. You don't leave anywhere. It just flows on and on and on. And so I think that boundaries are the thing you need to build back in this boundaryless environment. And those are two specific ways that people can do it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed every minute of this. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Rachel. Take care, Greg. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Greg. You can also hear us on episode 53 of Greg's podcast, What's Essential. Have a question I can answer? Check out all the links in my bio for ways you can reach me. You can also visit my website at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn, where I share exclusive tips, videos, and musings. Join me next week for an episode on how to rock a career pivot. Until then, thanks for listening and have a successful week. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 